Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Today launches a brand new series entitled Guardrails. And let me just say before we go any further, I really believe that this series, maybe more than any others we've done in a long time, could be one of the most life-changing for many of you in the room. Because what we're going to talk about over the next couple of days, or next couple of weeks rather, is going to radically change, could radically change the way you make decisions in your life. And could help you not only be you to be a better decision maker, but you to be able to give wiser decision-making advice to those around you, your kids, your friends, and other people. So let's talk a little bit about guardrails. Well, the first thing I can say about guardrails is you already know what guardrails are. Well, let's just give it the definition. Guardrails are designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous areas, into off-limit areas. In other words, guardrails are designed to do two things really well, to direct and protect to direct and protect. And when we put guardrails around roadways, there is sort of an agreed upon way in which we do it. As a society, we do this over and over and over. We always put guardrails in the safety zone, not in the danger zone, right? Nobody disputes, nobody argues the logic of this. You want the the guardrail to be in the safety. You don't want to put it over here in the danger zone, like off the cliff, off the edge of the bridge, over the edge, uh, right in the lane of traffic. Like You would never do that. You want to have a margin there, especially when you think about your kids on the road driving, your grandkids out there driving. You're like, yeah, dang right. I want some margin right there. I want to keep something between them and the cliff, them and the oncoming traffic. That, that makes sense. Here's the other thing that we know about guardrails. Guardrails are designed to minimize damage. And what I mean by that is that when you hit a guardrail, some of you here may have hit one at one time or another. Actually, this one on the stage looks like it's seen a little action. There's scratches on it. And when a car collides with a guardrail, glances up against it, you may have some fender bender issues. You may have some scratches on your car. But The damage done by the guardrail is minimal, minimal compared to what would have happened if you and your car and your family, whoever else was in the car, went into the danger zone, went over the bridge, went off the cliff, went into the oncoming traffic, right? That's when it becomes life-threatening to minimize the damage. So, we're, we're talking about these principles because they are going to have transferable wisdom to our lives. They always need to go in the safety zone, not in the danger zone, and they're there to help minimize the damage that could happen to your life and to mine. So without, without even really saying it, uh, you already know that the roadways of our world are not the only place where we need guardrails. But here's the deal, that In our world, and every one of you probably have a story like this, we have had those moments of regret. We've had those moments where we said, wow, that decision wasn't so wise. That was really foolish. I wish I could go back and redo that. That that was not my greatest moment. And most all of those moments we look back on 
we would say, if I had had better financial guardrails, if I had had better relational guardrails, better moral guardrails, spiritual guardrails, I wouldn't have had the regret and the consequences and the sort of uh, backwash from that decision that I have to live with today. All of the, the kind of ramifications of that decision that I live with today wouldn't have been there if I'd had a guardrail. So consequently, if we flip that logic and say all future moments of regret, future poor decisions could be eliminated, or, or a lot of them could be eliminated, if we establish good guardrails now, like over this week and the upcoming weeks, we're going to be talking about all these areas financially, relationally, and, and morally, and spiritually. Where should these guardrails be? And things for your heart. How do you guard your heart? We're going to be talking about where to put, how to put, how to establish good guardrails for you going forward. But I want to tell you up front, this is going to be a challenge because the culture around you and I the culture around us does not encourage guardrails. As a matter of fact, the culture around you and I is content with vaguely painted lines on the highway of life. Vague, like gray painted lines. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When it comes to different areas, I'm just going to pick three, okay? And we're just going to talk about what does the culture say about these areas. First of all, about alcohol and alcohol consumption. We don't say in our culture, don't get drunk. We say, Drink responsibly. Now, let's be honest. What exactly does that mean, right? I think we all can kind of agree to what drinking irresponsibly looks like. We've all probably been around that before, and you might have even been the subject of that before, but you, you, you know you're sort of familiar with that, but drink responsibly. Well, that word responsible, that means different things to different people. That is vague, baby. That is not specific. That is not a guardrail. That's just kind of a, a line over there somewhere. When it comes to the area of sex, we don't say in our culture, wait till marriage. We say, wait till you're ready, right? And that might work with a few girls, right? They don't need those guardrails. But I'm talking about almost every teenage boy I have ever met, they're like, I was born ready. I am ready. I've been ready for years, right? That is not a good piece of advice. I'm just telling you, poor choice of words. Don't go with that. All right, when it comes to love, many times the culture says, well, when you, when you want to know if you're in love or what to do about love, just listen to your heart. Wait, wasn't that a line from a Roxette song back in the 80s? Listen to your heart because there's nothing else you can do. Well, I'm telling you, Roxette, there's something else you can do. What are some other options? I'm telling you, God offers some really great advice, and we're going to talk about it over the next coming weeks. But this is what culture says. It's like, no, 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 let's keep it vague. Let's keep it like there is a cliff over there somewhere. Where? Oh, you know, like over there, there, over there, like over there. Well, what, 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 how do I keep from going off? Well, just be careful when you go over there. Well, I'm telling you, as a pastor, <laughs> I see people going off the cliff all the time that weren't looking. They didn't see the, gar they didn't see the, the, the stripes on the road. They, they don't know where it is. And they wind up getting hurt and hurt other people all the time. We can't settle for the vagueness. But here's the irony of our culture. The irony is our culture disses guardrails, but shames and mocks us when we end up in a ditch financially, morally, or in marriage. 
Did you notice this? Culture, I'm talking about the media. Like, no, 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 don't you impose any kind of guardrail, any kind of moral imperative, any kind of like um, guardrails, rules, or any kind of like we should, no, don't impose any of that. But the moment somebody steps over a line, oh my gosh, they're crucified, aren't they? The moment that they cheat, the moment that they lie, the moment, disgusting, homewrecker, horrible, awful, branded, run them out of town. Do you see the, the contradictory nature of the world that we live in today? And it's so important that we have, and there are people who have had guardrails for years and years and years and have had them hold on to them and they have protected them so well, but now are starting to come under fire, which is really interesting. There was a recent article actually in the Harvard Business Review that was going after Billy Graham of all people. Billy Graham had this rule. Now, he passed away last year, but he had this rule. He, he, wasn't, he would tell you, I'm not the one who originated the rule. It didn't start with me. I just, because he was high profile, people knew who he was. It became very popular with his name. But here was his rule that Billy Graham kept throughout his adult life. He says, married men shouldn't ride with, meet with, or eat with women alone. And of course, he's, he's talking about women that are not his family, his wife, his, his daughters, his family. He's talking about other women. Now, he met with women all the time. He just do it alone behind closed doors. He says, because I need to protect, I have to protect my heart. I have to be careful. I have to, you know, but guess what? He was faithful to his wife. He was consistent in his commitment to her. He loved his wife. He loved his family. He didn't want anything to threaten that. That's why he had the rule. It wasn't because, oh my gosh, some vixen might try to creep up on me and ruin my life. Now, it wasn't that. It was, it was more about him. But yeah, it was interesting in this article that they came after him and they just eviscerated him and tore it apart and just talked about how horrible and awful this rule is. But what was interesting is at the end of the article, they didn't offer any kind of guardrail. They didn't offer anything to put in its place. All they offered was vaguely painted lines on the pavement. Let Let me show you exactly what this Harvard Business Review article ended. This is the way it ended. It says, so what is an evolved male leader to do? In the simplest terms, become what we call a thoughtful caveman. Okay, healthy, mature, self-aware men understand and accept their distinctly male neural architecture. What does that even mean, right? (laughs) That seems as vague as possible. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm just saying like... um, the thoughtful caveman that's healthy, mature, and self-aware, like, where? I don't even know those guys. Where do those guys exist? I, that's weird. Well, I'm just saying for the other 99.99% of men that I have run into in my lifetime, we need guardrails, okay? For those guys right there, maybe they don't need them. I just haven't met those guys yet, okay? And this is, this is where we're at as a culture, that we have to be willing to say, listen, We're not offering any kind of real help here as we take away the guardrails that maybe have been from generations past. Maybe it's time for us to stop saying, old-fashioned, antiquated, won't work, I can't do that, and begin to look at it and say, yeah, maybe it needs to be tweaked a little bit, but also there was a lot of wisdom there. Let's take a look at these guardrails. And what's interesting, and this is really my point here, is if you have guardrails today, you will not be celebrated but you will have fewer regrets. 
People aren't going to be like, oh my gosh, your guardrails are amazing. That's incredible. Unless they understand. They've been there, done that, gotten burned, hurt, went over the cliff. They felt the pain of it. Go, oh my gosh, you're so wise. That is unbelievably wise. They understand fewer regrets is a much better option than no guardrails at all. And I want to just say to you that guardrails, the whole concept of it, isn't new or original. The Apostle Paul was talking about this a couple thousand years ago. In the New Testament, in his letter to the Roman Christians in Ephesus, he writes in this book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 5, he opens by saying, listen, you're probably all familiar with this, but there are people out there in the culture that are embracing greed and home-wrecking immorality and distrust. They lie all the time. And, and here's what you need to understand. Those carry with them consequences. They're going to hurt you. They're going to hurt other people. They do not turn your life out in a, in a positive way. You need to watch out for those things, to which we would say, yes, Paul, we agree. We're with you. And then we would probably maybe say something like, but it's hard to be that good all the time. It's, it's challenging to do that all the time consistently. So he offers to us some wisdom, some guidelines, some guardrails that could be very helpful to us. And right here in chapter 5, starting with verse 15, here's what Paul offers to us to consider applying and adopting in our own life. Here's what he says. He says, and let's read the highlighted words together. He says, be very careful then how you live. This word careful here means to be, literally it means be careful where you step. If you have a big dog and a little yard, you're familiar with this concept, right? Be careful where you step. In other words, your actions carry with them consequences. We live in a cause and effect universe. This is the way God made it. Pay attention. Don't be foolish about this. Don't, don't deceive yourself into thinking that somehow you cheat the system. Like your decisions have a ramification to them. So be careful in the way that you live. And then he goes on to say, not as unwise, but as, let's say it together, but as, as wise. And there Paul gives us the template for making good decisions in the New Testament. It's not so much um, good and bad or even right and wrong. It's wisdom and foolishness. Those are the words that are chosen in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, by the way, over and over and over. What is the wise thing to do? Paul is telling us here one of the most important grids that you could run every major decision of your life through. A good guardrail is to ask, what is the wise thing to do in my life right now? Based on my past experiences, like where I have blown it in the past, where I've succumbed to temptation, where I tend to, me personally, not everybody, but me personally, have a weakness, what would be the wise thing to do? In my current circumstance, past experiences, current circumstances, like what's going on in my life right now? We go through different seasons of life. If you're a parent of little bitty children, the wise thing for you to do is going to look different than when you were without children or if you are an empty nester. It's going to be different. You make different kinds of decisions with the how you allocate your time, right? Because those little kids need you there more. And then, so based on your past experiences, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, where am I going? Where's God taking me? And ask the question in the context of you and where you are, past, present, future, what's the wise thing for me to be doing right now? 
That's a great question. And it is a very clarifying question. It creates some great um, guardrails for you going forward in your life. And we're told here in Ephesians uh, 5.16, he goes on to say this in the next verse, making the most of every opportunity. Opportunity. And this word literally means to redeem the time. It's like you're trying to get the most out of your investment, trying to squeeze every dollar out of that investment, that you're redeeming the time, that, that you are trying to leverage the time that God gave you, use it wisely. We all have had those moments where we look back and say, I wish I could get back some of the time that I have wasted. It is the most precious, non-renewable commodity that God has given us, time. You, you, you spend all your money, you can always make more money, but your time is finite, isn't it? It's always shrinking. I don't mean to make you nervous, but there's only, we only give, we're only given so much time, and it's, and it's slipping away all the time. And I'm telling you, just by you choosing to be here today is a wise investment of your time, and especially if you go out and apply what we're talking about today, incredibly wise use of your time. He's saying, listen, I want you to, to, to look for those opportunities to redeem the time because, he says, because the days are evil. What does he mean by that? Both in Paul's day and in our day, the days are evil. The culture that we live in, there is a current to the culture is what he's talking about. And it is heading in an evil direction. It may seem neutral, innocuous, like it, it's really no big deal, Will. You're making too big of a deal. He, I, he's saying, listen, it's, it's like if you were on a raft and you just pushed out into the river and you picked up your feet and you let the current of culture just take you, which is what lots and lots of people do. He says, it's going to take you to a place of great regret. It's going to take you to a place of pain and suffering. You are not going to like where you wind up. In other words, you are going to have to choose because the days are not going to do it for you. The culture, the day that you live in is not going to do it. You're going to have to voluntarily choose to put this in your life. You've got to say, I'm putting this in place because if I don't, the chances of me going off the rails is so high in some area of my life because you and I are all vulnerable and there is a past story to reveal it, right? There is a vulnerability in our life where we need one of these, maybe several. And it's time for us to get honest and say, listen, the days are evil. I can't trust in the culture. I can't trust. I've got to trust in the Lord and His Word. I've got to begin to implement His wisdom into my life. And that is a voluntary self-sacrificial, self-submission kind of a moment of saying, God, I'm going to let my life reflect your wisdom instead of the culture around me. In verse 17, he goes on to say, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand. Let's start it one more time. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is to understand. Now, this is a fascinating word. I did a little word search this week and kind of refresh my memory on this word. It's a word that literally means to put the pieces together as though you were putting a puzzle together. You ever put those big old puzzles together? Like sometimes when we're, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes here, vacation, and we're doing a puzzle together that's like a two or 3,000 piece puzzle and it starts off like everybody wants to help and then you get like an hour in and it's just down to me and Leslie, right? 
And I'm just like, I just want to get this thing done, you know, and you've only got like this big and it's supposed to be that big. And you've got to have that box there as a point of reference to know where the pieces go. But what happens is that as you get the pieces in the right place, a pattern emerges, right? There's a pattern. And that's what this word is talking about. Understand when it comes to you, you have a pattern too. You have a pattern to the way you live. You both have a pattern to the way you live when you're submitted to God's will, and there's a pattern when you are being foolish and you are not pursuing the Lord as well. And and let's talk about that for a second, because he's saying that the vast majority of people don't recognize the pattern. That's why I'm urging you to understand what the Lord's will is, because most people don't. He says there's a pattern. Look at when you make foolish decisions, when you go off the rails, when you don't have one of these and you go down the embankment, and you regret it later, what does that look like for you? What are those nights, those, those, those events, those moments, those decisions that you look back and say, that was so stupid, why did I do that? Let me ask you a series of questions here. Where are you when you do those things? Maybe it's not always the exact geographic location, but they're similar, I promise you. There's some commonalities between where you were all those different times. The second one is, who's with you? Some of you say, oh, it's the exact same guy every single time. Okay, well, you need a guardrail in front of that dude, right? That girl, you need that. Yes. And so where are you? Who's with you? And finally, what are you under the influence of? Let's get real honest. Are you drunk? Are you high? What's going on with you? I, I almost never do I know people who are in a certain situation with certain people under certain influence that rise up out of that and go, I am so proud of how wise I was in that situation. No, there is a pattern to this, people. There is a consistent situation that causes you to make poor decisions over and over. And he's saying, recognize that, understand that. And here's what I want to say to you, that in front of those places, there ought to be a guardrail. In front of those people, there ought to be a guardrail. In front of those substances, there ought to be a guardrail that says, nope, not going there. Stupid. I'll regret it. It's going to just mess up my life. It's going to destroy my life, destroy my marriage. It's going to destroy my, 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 the way my kids see me. I'm, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm done. I'm sick of it. And some of you here, if you could be so honest, if we just the two of us alone, you would say, Pastor, well, honestly, if I could be really honest, I have been flirting on the edge. Like, I'm so shocked I haven't gone over it. And some of you would say, I have gone over it, and I paid the price. It's, it's broke my heart. I broke somebody's heart that I love. I love them. And it looks like I don't because I was being so foolish. There were no guardrails. That's what happened. You ripped them up. It's like a highway with no guardrails. Somebody's bound to go off the edge. That's why we have them, and we put them in the safe zone, not the danger zone. We put them there on purpose because it is so important for us to see the pattern and to see there's a correlation between our actions and the repercussion of those actions. Here's what wise people know that foolish people forget. Wise people understand that one thing leads to another, okay? That may seem overly simple, but my goodness, it is profound. And you know what a guardrail is? It is simply one thing that keeps us from leading to another, all right? It is one thing that's keeping us from destroying our life with another. Everybody needs these. Everybody does. And as a matter of fact, what's interesting is the very next verse, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, let me give you an illustration of one thing leads to another. 
that a lot of people can relate with in his day, and I think a lot of people could relate with in our day as well. He says this in verse 18. He says, do not get drunk on wine. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, he didn't say anything about beer, okay? (laughs) No. (laughs) Let me just say this. Why did Paul say wine? Because that's all they had back then. It was the staple of society. Because wine or watered-down wine was what everybody drank back then. Because it, it, but, the, but the prohibition or the, uh, the, the warning here was, if you drink too much wine, you might get drunk. But if you drink too much water, you might get dead. So wine was a much better option. So everybody for the most part, drink wine. He was not saying don't drink wine at all. He's just saying be so careful when you drink it not to get drunk on wine. And you may say, well, well, why? Why? And so he tells us in the next part of the verse. He says don't get drunk on wine, which leads to why do we not get drunk on wine? Because of what it leads to. This is a one thing leads to another wisdom lesson, remember? That's what this illustration's about. And I bet many of you in the room can remember a time where you were with somebody where getting drunk on whatever the alcohol was of the day, it led to something. And that something wasn't good. It was ugly. And it was awful. And some of you can remember back in your home growing up, And you can't help but think, especially in light of this message today, if there had been a guardrail in this area of my mom and dad's life, maybe my life would have turned out differently. Maybe my mom and dad's story would be radically different. Why? Why is that so painful? Why is that so difficult? Because of what it led to. It led to something painful, destructive. This is what Paul is saying, that wine in and of itself isn't evil, But drunkenness, it leads somewhere. It leads to a place that can hurt you and damage you. And let me just say this to you, and and I I don't even know all of you, but I'm just saying, I know this is going to sting a little bit, but I'm just saying, if you've had more than one person tell you you drink too much, you do, okay? You need a guardrail. Hello. I'm not telling you that to try to condemn you. I'm telling you that to save your life to save your your marriage, your family. You need it. As a matter of fact, not just you, every one of us need it. We all need a guardrail in front of drunk. Absolutely. Why? Because of what it leads to. I don't know what some of you are thinking. Well, hey man, getting a little drunk, that doesn't need a guardrail. That's like the goal. That's like what I do each weekend to have fun with my friends. We, we have fun and we get, you know, just a little tipsy and that's not, it's not a big deal. I'm just telling you, it's all fun until somebody gets verbally abused, until somebody punches somebody, until somebody swerves into oncoming traffic, until a young student, high school, college, graduate, PhD, can't quit and it's destroying their lives professional people that you would never expect. You would never know it because they hide it so well. It's destroying their lives. Paul's saying, be so careful with this one because of what it leads to. Verse 18, check this out. This is how he ends it. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, right? Debauchery. That's not a word that, I'll be honest, comes up a whole lot at the Lewis household. (laughs) 
It's not one that we use a whole lot in our culture anymore, but let me define it for you. Debauchery literally means indulgence uh, resulting from a loss of self-control. Indulgence that is resulting from a loss of self-control. What Paul is warning here is that watch out for not just alcohol, but other things that can take away your self-control. Because here's the thing that people who've been down this road, know where it goes, have been a part of that current of culture and seen where it goes would tell you, don't you ever give yourself away to anything that seeks to control you because you might not get you back. Or it might take years before you ever get to feeling like yourself again. It will take you and it will make you its prisoner. This is what God is trying to help guard our hearts against. And you don't get there. You don't get that kind of strength. You don't get that kind of fortitude against the things that seek to destroy you without a guardrail. You've got to put those things in place. It's so important. Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, he says, be filled with the, let's say it together, the, the Spirit, the Spirit of God. The New Testament teaches us that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, that what he did on the cross was to pay the penalty for our sins. You receive that forgiveness, and you place him in the lordship place of your life, the leadership place of your life, that the Spirit of God comes to reside within you to help you to make wise choices for your life, And you've got to ask for it. You've got to say, God, help me to be attuned to your spirit. Let me listen to the voice of wisdom. And as I spend time in your word, convict my heart over the areas of my life that need to change and to begin to adopt guardrails. And I encourage you, don't keep these guardrails just completely private. You need to share them with somebody. Tell people, hey, you know what? Especially after today's message, I know I need a guardrail in this area of my life. I need a guardrail in my relationships with my finances. I tend to not be very wise. I need guardrails in some areas. Would you just ask me every once in a while, hold me accountable, like I'm asking for it. I want you to help me because I want to I respect this. It's so important for us to begin to look for people that would help us with those steps. And, and the thing I want you to see today is None of us plan on wrecking our lives any more than we plan on wrecking our cars. We just don't plan not to. And I want you to see that guardrails is us planning not to. It's us saying, I'm going to voluntarily put guardrails or guidelines in my life in the safety zone, not in the danger zone. I'm going to come back from the edge a little bit, put it there so that it will protect me, protect my marriage, protect my finances, my kids, my walk with God. I I need it. We all need it. And what's beautiful about guardrails that I have learned over several decades of trying to exercise them in my own life is they actually help me and you and I, all of us, to discern the will of God easier in our life. Now, how does that work? It works like this. By stepping away from what can harm us, you take a step towards the one who loves you. You see, God is the opposite of everything that seeks to destroy you. That's why he says, come, seek me. Make me the focal point of your life. Seek first me and my kingdom, and all these other things will be added unto you. I promise you, by seeking me, it's not going to take away life. It's going to add abundance to life. Like, it's the thing you've been looking for. Seek me today. Here's a couple of questions I want to ask you as we move into the the prayer time. 
Where do you need a guardrail today in your life? Like, honestly, be honest with yourself. And maybe this is a conversation you need to have with your spouse or whoever's closest to you and ask them, where do you think I need a guard? Here's the place I think I need. Give me some feedback. Where are you driving on the edge of disaster right now? It wouldn't take much. I mean, like you, if you've been really honest, there are times where you're so close, it would just be like a, and you would go right off. You're too close. There's no guardrail. There's no protection. And finally, what do you need to admit to yourself and God today in prayer? Ask for his help to admit, to confess to him. Here's the application prayer I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Jesus, where do I need to put a guardrail today? Here's where I have been driving on the edge of disaster. Here it is, Lord. Just be honest with him. I surrender all of me to you before it's too late. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.